The name Eeyore is synonymous with a dark, gloomy countenance. I probably deserve that. Of course, Eeyore is one of Christopher Robin's friends in A.A. Milne's children's series called Winnie the Pooh. The lovable but dreary donkey rarely has a good day in the Hundred Acre Wood. Are you an Eeyore? Have the dark clouds of sadness and unhappiness descended upon you? Are you miserable to be around, even when you're alone? Would others describe you as a glass-half-empty sort of person? If the answer is yes, I suggest you read a New Testament letter Paul wrote from prison to the church in Philippi. Philippians will challenge you to choose joy, Eeyore, which is something the Holy Spirit can help you do in any place and all circumstances. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. How can you find joy in the midst of adverse circumstances? Find out next on this Friday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Today we return to the book of Philippians, an epistle written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Despite his bleak circumstances, he chose joy. So can we. Stay with us now as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library. That's where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. From Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where he serves as lead pastor, here's Ron with part two of his message, Philippians. Choose joy. Furthermore, Paul says he chose to be born in the likeness of men. I mean, consider the, the condescension, the humility of Christ, our Savior, our Creator God, who put on human flesh. Really? And chose to be born uh, just like you and I were born, albeit from a virgin and was laid in a manger. You know what a manger is? It's a cattle feeding trough. And, and he, as a baby, was, was wholly dependent upon his human parents. He humbled himself. And, um, and he emptied himself. Also, Jesus did not present himself as one would expect of deity. He served others instead of expecting them to serve him. And for these reasons and a whole lot more, God the Father highly exalted his son, giving him, Paul says, the name that is above every name, a name to which every knee should bow. If you're not bowing your knee before the Lord Jesus Christ today, one day you will. If your tongue is not confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, one day you will. Because God has highly exalted this one who descended into greatness. I, I wish I could just stay there all afternoon and, uh, and talk about this. But Paul continues in uh, chapter 2 by encouraging the Philippians. He says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be careful with that. We don't work for our salvation. But having received the free gift of eternal life by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, now 
we work it out, right? We call that sanctification. And in one sense, we have been sanctified. And in another sense, we are being sanctified in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And choosing joy, which is a supernatural response, much greater than happiness, requires the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and our cooperation with him to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I know I'm giving you a lot, but this book is full of a lot. He also tells them, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Now, how practical is that? He probably had Iodia and Syntyche in mind when he said this. And then he invites them to rejoice with him. Even if he is, he says, poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. If I could paraphrase Paul, he's just saying, you know, if things don't work out for me, if I never get out of this prison, rejoice with me. Uh, don't, don't think earthquake day came for me. No, I, I'm, I am pouring out my life as a sacrifice for you and for the gospel. Let's move on to chapter three where the theme is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul begins chapter three and continues to express his joy and encourages the Philippians to do the same. In verse one, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Again, he says this over and over and over and over again to them, rejoice in the Lord. Then he warns the Philippians about uh, some joy stealers some people who might lead them astray. Certainly anybody who leads you astray from Christ is a joy stealer because your joy is tethered to your relationship with Christ. Happiness, which comes and goes, you might be able to find out there somewhere in the world, but nothing like joy, nothing like the joy that the Holy Spirit tethered to your relationship. A joy stealer is somebody who draws you away from Christ. He says, don't let any joy stealers in your life. He instructs them to conduct a thorough audit of their lives, using some accounting language here, and to ledger their worldly gains into the loss column. This comes after Paul spends a fair amount of time just talking about his own resume before he came to Christ. He was a rising rabbi, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, this guy was soaring career-wise. And he says, all of that I've taken and I've thrown it on Mount Trashmore. It's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. He encourages them in verses 8 through 11 to cling to eternal values. He counts everything loss that he, that he gained before he met Christ. And, and then he goes on to express his deep desire to know Christ more intimately. He says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Chapter three and verse 10. How many of you want more of Christ's resurrection power in your life? You want to know him and share an intimacy with him in the, in the resurrection power of Christ? I certainly do. But right on the heels of that, he says, I want to know Christ in a way that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Anybody ready to sign up for that? Well, not many of us, right? But friends, there is a deeper intimacy, a deeper fellowship that awaits any one of us that are willing to take up our cross daily and follow him, even if it takes you into adverse circumstances. 
or into a place that brings you very, very close to death because of your, your faith in Christ. Then the humble apostle encourages us and he encourages the Philippians, and here's where the theme comes, to reach for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm reading beginning in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love these verses. Uh, they're just uh, full of positive, uplifting, glass half full kinds of, you know, choose joy optimism. And it doesn't come from reading the latest uh, Power of Positive Thinking book, in case you're wondering. You're not going to find this kind of joy in the self-help section of some bookstore. You might find happiness there or some path to happiness that has to do with what's happening and will disappear as soon as your circumstances become adverse. This kind of joy is, is a supernatural response tethered to our relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that too many of us live below our exalted position in Christ. We reach for things in life that are temporal, not eternal, earthly, not heavenly, downward, not upward. This is the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. We set goals, we even achieve them, that are not worthy of the exalted Christ. And he's trying to say to all the Eeyores out there, Lift up your head. It's not earthquake day. Whatever you're going through, it's not. For to me, to live is Christ. And you want a picture of what Christ went through? Watch him descend into greatness. Reach for the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. We must live the upward life in response to the call of God and in response to his claim on our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. Such life has direction. It's upward, not downward. And such life will change our trajectory in life. It will change our countenance. It will, it will change how we interact with people. It will change whether or not people want to be around us. Nobody wants to be around Eeyore. You might have three friends that are courageous enough to call you on the carpet when you say it's earthquake day and to say, come on, Eeyore, we don't, we don't live that way. We don't, we, we're, we're believers in Jesus. Well, nobody ever showed me how to be happy. Okay, read the book of Philippians, Eeyore. That's the whole point here, right? How do we live this way? Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, Philippians, Choose Joy. Remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime and find out more about the ministry to ask our ministry team to pray for you or to order selected resources from our online store. And here's something else for you. When you make a donation to Something Good Radio today, we'll say thank you by giving you access to a new resource that goes along with this current series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. It's an ebook from Dr. Ron Jones that covers all 13 of the Pauline epistles requested today for your gift to Something Good Radio. 
Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. Mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456, or call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now let's rejoin Ron for the rest of today's message, Philippians, Choose Joy. All right, get ready to write something down. I'm going to talk fast because i got to move on to chapter 4 here. But Paul gives us a hint here. Five ways to reach for the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Number one, Paul remained teachable. He said, not that I have already obtained this. <laughs> he says, I haven't arrived yet. Secondly, he was disciplined. He said, I press on. He was focused. He says, this one thing I do. He was goal-oriented. He said, I press on toward the goal. And then he adopted a winner's mindset. He says, I do everything to win the prize. And this wasn't an earthly prize. No, he had his eyes fixed on the heavenly prize, the eternal prize. That's why he could say, for to me to live is Christ and to die, I'm just better off. To die is gain. You choose to live this way and you too will experience joy even in adverse circumstances. And then chapter four. <laughs> it's almost like he's just getting warmed up here in chapters one, two, and three because in the final chapter of the letter, the word rejoice appears three times on balance. He's really loading up uh, the rejoicing in chapter four. Joy exudes Paul's thinking and he notes the Lord is at hand He's watching Eeyore, even as you're nibbling on your thistles over here and thinking it's earthquake day. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, he says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What is he saying? He's saying joy, joyful people are not anxious people. If you're, if you're anxious, that's one of the joy stealers. Anxiety is a joy stealer. So be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. Joyful people also discipline their minds. Look at it in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. I want you to think about the last 24 to 48 hours. What did you think about? What did, you, what did your mind land upon and rest upon? Oh, it's earthquake day. We're going down. It's never been worse than this. No, whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, you know, the old saying is true, you sow a thought, you reap an action, you sow an action, you reap a habit, you sow a habit, you reap a character, you sow a character, you reap a destiny. Some of you are where you are today because of a pattern of thinking you've adopted that might be too much Eeyore-like and too negative. Again, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking and the latest self-help book. You're gonna need the help of the Holy Spirit on this, and I do too, to choose joy. It's a supernatural response. 
After expressing his gratitude for their generous gift to his ministry, Paul launches now into a short course on contentment. We might say that joyful people also learn contentment. He says in verse 11, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Again, he's not writing from the five-star hotel suite. He's writing from prison here. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We love to take verse 13, we pluck it out of its context, we post it on social media, put it on a bumper sticker. But understand it in its context here. Paul's writing from prison, a dark, gloomy place. And he says, I have learned how to be content when everything is going well, but also when everything isn't going well. And I can do all things, even, even endure this dark, gloomy prison cell, all things through him who strengthens me. You know, contentment does not come naturally to us. We must learn it. And Paul says twice, I have learned to be content. And I got to thinking, you know, maybe you learn contempt, but the same way I, I had to learn chemistry when I was in high school. I wasn't very good at chemistry. That's why I'm a preacher today. <laughs> but I'm going to go back to my high school chemistry class where Mr. Buzzard was my teacher. Yes, Mr. Buzzard. I'm not making this up. His profile, he kind of had a beak to him as well, Mr. Buzzard. And when Mr. Buzzard wasn't teaching us about chemistry, he was reading his Wall Street Journal. I guess he had some investments there that he was checking on. But here's how we learned chemistry. Mr. Buzzard would lecture three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, we had lab. Remember chemistry lab? The Bunsen burners and all that. And what I learned is that the way to learn chemistry is you got to go to lecture and you take good notes, read your assignments, all that, but you got to go to lab too. And both are important. You can't, you can't uh, not go to lecture and expect to know how to do the lab and you can't, you know, just go to the lecture and not, you know, work out some of the applications in the lab. And so it is with learning contentment. You can sit here and hear a sermon and, and maybe be inspired to be more content. But the other way you learn contentment is through the laboratory of life. Through times of plenty, Paul says, and through times when I didn't have two nickels to rub together. Through times when I had an abundance and times that I didn't have anything. And right now, I'm writing from prison. And I can tell you, I'm learning something about contentment even here. And, and this is how we, uh, we learn. We learn contentment. Um, in times of adversity, in times of prosperity. And those are really the two tests in life, aren't they? We understand the test of adversity. But there's an equal test in times of prosperity. I would say to you that uh, the country we live in, the United States of America, this prosperous country, we are failing the test of prosperity because we've walked away from God as a nation. 
And this can happen at the individual level as well. It's a whole lot easier to find yourself on your face before the Lord and praying and pursuing Him when things are adverse. But then the times of plenty come. Eh, I don't go to church as much and, you know, feel more uh, self-sufficient. Don't give the Lord another reason to send you more adversity because you failed the test of prosperity, all right? I've learned contentment in both situations. And in both circumstances, he learned that the power of Christ is sufficient. And then he lands the plane. In chapter 4 and verse 19, actually verse 20 is the end of the book, but verse 19 says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you know that as a promise from God's word? Not just because you heard it in a sermon, but because you, you've experienced it in the laboratory of life. When you had an abundance or when you didn't have two nickels to rub together, my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, if, if, if I could just imagine for a moment, God has this warehouse. It is so abundantly packed with the supply to your need and mine. He doesn't have a supply chain problem. And it's out of this abundant supply that God has. He's there to meet every one of your needs. Now that can be a, you know, an intellectual, yeah, check the box, I know that because I heard it in a sermon. Or he can send you through times of adversity, then times of prosperity, and you, you can learn to be content wherever you are because joyful people are content people. Joyful people discipline their minds. Uh, joyful people are not anxious about anything because they know that my God will supply all of my needs. At just the right time, He does things like that. Thanks so much for being with us for today's Something Good radio message. Philippians, Choose, Joy, and Dr. Ron Jones joins me in studio now. And Ron, one of the key ideas in Philippians is that joy is a choice. Now, I know there are people out there who have wrestled with depression in the past. Some may be going through it right now. What would you say to encourage them? Well, Brian, we all experience sadness. Um, sometimes we call it the Monday morning blues. Sadness is a real human emotion. But clinical depression is more than sadness, and it's a serious matter, a mental health matter. And my heart goes out to anyone who is struggling with it. I've been close to people who have dealt with depression, uh, even people in my extended family, to say, oh, just read the book of Philippians, choose joy, and call me in the morning. Well, it's perhaps too cavalier and ignores the real clinical issues going on inside a person's brain, which is an organ of the body like any other organ that can be healthy or unhealthy, well or unwell. I'm not a medical doctor, but I encourage anyone who is clinically depressed to follow the doctor's diagnosis and prescription and take the medication. Then read the book of Philippians and choose joy. Then let's talk about what might have contributed to compromising your emotional health, even your clinical uh, mental health. 
Just as we can make poor nutritional choices that harm our physical body, Brian, I believe we can make poor choices in our mind that can negatively affect our emotional and mental health. Uh, Perhaps the way we respond to stress or anger or other emotions that might even have a clinical effect on our mental health. In that way, there is nothing more important to our emotional and mental well-being than the renewing of our minds with the Word of God. So yes, read the book of Philippians and choose joy. Saturate your mind with the positive, glass-half-full outlook the Apostle Paul writes about in his letter to the Philippians. And again, choose joy. Ron, I'm reminded of what Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Think about these things. When we do, I don't think we can help but be joyful. Join us next time for Something Good when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, Colossians, Jesus is greater than. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.